Last week, we talked about good news that's expected. You know, good news that you hope for, that you can't wait to hear, and you want to celebrate it with other people. But what about that good news that's unexpected, right? That's unimaginable. It's hard to believe. Or maybe even it's good news that at first doesn't seem all that good when you first hear it. Well, that's kind of what we see here in Luke chapter 1. We see two parallel stories of unexpected good news being announced. First, we meet an older couple. They've lived a good long life. They're in their twilight years, Zechariah and Elizabeth. They've been faithful to the Lord. Zechariah is a priest. He's been trained as a priest, comes from a priestly family. And he's, he's got his once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. He's, he's been wanting and hoping to be able to go into the temple. There are a lot of priests, and some never got the chance to go to Jerusalem and go into the temple and to burn incense in the holy place before the Lord. And that's been what he's hoped for, and he's longed for that opportunity. Elizabeth similarly has hoped and longed for a child. She's always wanted to have a baby. And while Zechariah finally has his moment, he gets to go into the temple, Elizabeth's moment still doesn't come. What about her? She's been faithful. She's been prayerful. She's been patient. What about her dreams? Will her faithfulness ever be rewarded? No, their home never heard the patter of little children's feet. The walls never echoed with the, the laughter and the cry of a dream, but it's a bittersweet victory for them. But then there's another couple, a young couple, a newly engaged couple, Joseph and Mary. I mean, they're almost as opposite as you can get from Zechariah and Elizabeth. Before them, their future stretches out like a blank page ready for them to write their story on. Joseph and Mary are betrothed. They're engaged, not fully married yet, but they love to spend their evenings walking through the hills around Nazareth dreaming about the future, talking about their plans. What kind of home will they build? What kind of family will they have? Will they have boys, girls? What do they want first? Of course, you know, Joseph, he wants a boy first and wants to name him after his father, Jacob. They love to dream and to pray to God for God to bless their family, to give them peace and prosperity, to fill their home with many children. They are so excited to start their life together. But both couples are about to receive some unexpected news from an unexpected herald. The good news that Gabriel announced to these couples was so unexpected. And it both challenged and encouraged them. It promised precious gifts, but these gifts would demand a lot from them. The news that Gabriel announced would require surrender, commitment, even sacrifice. They had to receive and believe this news with faith, trust, and dependence upon God. So let's look at this first couple, Elizabeth and Zechariah, in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord, but they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive. And both of them were well along in years. When his division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. 
at the hour of the Lord, at the, uh, sorry, at the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. How can I know this, Zechariah asked the angel, for I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he could not speak to them. Then they realized he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He was making signs to them and remained speechless. When the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. So Zechariah was standing before the Lord in the holy place, this once-in-a-lifetime ministry opportunity, keenly aware of just how solemn and sacred this moment was, this responsibility of representing the Jewish people before the presence of God. And he was also keenly aware of the warning that God gave Moses in Exodus You cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. There was always a sense of fear and trepidation whenever a priest went into the holy place, and especially when the high priest went once a year into the holiest of holies, that God could strike them dead by the brilliance of His glory. So is it any wonder then, can you blame him, that Zechariah is startled by the sudden unexpected appearance of an angel? He probably thought he was going to die in that moment. But even more unexpected and disturbing was the news that this angel announced. All those prayers, hopes, and dreams. The dream that he and Elizabeth had long ago forsaken, that they would have a child, was about to be answered. Now just imagine with me Zechariah standing here. The smoke filling the room. He's burning incense. The incense represents the prayers of the people ascending up to God. Don't, so everything that he was doing was about prayer. I have to wonder what prayer was on Zechariah's heart as he stood in this place. Could it be that maybe there was a flicker, of one last flicker of hope? And as he lit that incense, maybe he himself prayed, God, one last time. Is it possible? Could Elizabeth and I have a child? Maybe. Or maybe he gave a prayer of thanksgiving, resigned to God's will for his life, maybe a prayer for provision in their old age. Whatever was on his heart, you had to know 
this long-held prayer, this dream of theirs, had to be on his heart. And so imagine the surprise, the shock, the wonder, as Gabriel appeared and said, Zechariah, don't be afraid. God has not only heard your prayers, He is answering them. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son and you will name him John. Now, Zechariah's reaction to this is a reflection of our own tendency to fear the unexpected. There's a few lessons I want us to learn from today's passages. And the first is this. We fear God's unexpected plan and provision. We do. It seems counterintuitive. It seems silly when you think about it because God answered Zechariah's prayer. It was a miracle. Why would he be afraid? Why would any of us be afraid when God shows up and answers our prayer? Why would any of us do anything less than answer with the resounding yes whenever God calls us? Yet that's not what we do, is it? We, we overthink things and we doubt and we have questions and we, we struggle, we hesitate. Like Zechariah, we can even be afraid of the very thing meant to bring us comfort. I mean, think of the irony of what Gabriel said. Do not fear because your prayer has been answered. Why would we be afraid that God answers our prayers? Well, maybe it's a bit of a case of be careful what you pray for, right? I mean, if you're up in years and you're praying for a kid, you know, be careful what you pray for. (laughs) And when God answers our prayers, listen, it's not always an easy answer. And it certainly wasn't an easy answer for them. For one thing, for this prayer to be answered, it kind of required something of Zechariah and Elizabeth, right? I mean, they had to participate in the answer to this prayer, if you know what I mean. John was not born of a virgin. So Zechariah had to then go home and be with his wife. Now, think about her at her age, being pregnant. That was risky business. I mean, being pregnant could be dangerous at that time for even a young, healthy woman, much less someone advanced in years. And, you know, as Jay kind of indicated, if you're a grandparent or you're a parent later in life, you can understand the exhaustion, the aches and the pains that would come their way as they try to raise a rambunctious little boy there in ancient Israel. Yes, this unexpected good news is going to require a lot of work, some hardship, even some sacrifice from them. And listen to me today. God is still in the miracle-working business. Amen? God still hears and answers prayers, but more often than not, God doesn't just answer our prayers for us. He answers them through us. He expects us sometimes to be hands and feet to those prayers. God calls us to partner with Him in His plan and in His provision. I think that's the part that makes us nervous. I think that's the part that kind of makes us afraid sometimes of the answered prayer. What have you been praying about for so long that it's become rote? You've prayed for years and years and years, and now you just kind of pray it out of habit. Maybe it's a prayer that you just keep asking for, even though God hasn't answered it yet. You doubt God is ever going to answer it, but you pray it anyway. What prayer have you long ago abandoned? said, well, that's just not something that's ever going to come to pass. Or maybe today there's something you're afraid to pray for with true faith. You say you want it, 
You say you want God to provide. You say you want God to open this door of opportunity. You say you want God to make this change. But a part of you is afraid. What if God actually answers this prayer? What will it require of me? You know, it's so easy for us to be comfortable in our mess and our misery and mistakes, isn't it? Reminds me of the story of the man that Jesus goes to heal at the pool of Bethesda. This this man's been a cripple all his life. And he's laying there on this mat by this pool. Now they believed that if, uh, if this waters in this pool were stirred, you know, kind of started to bubble up or whatever, they believed that an angel was stirring it and whoever was first in that water was healed. And now obviously that's not the way God works. But that was kind of what the, the, the people in that area believed. And it was actually a pagan a temple in the, originally as well. So here this man, clinging desperately to this, to this last straw of hope, has spent his life hoping and praying that he could somehow, being a cripple, make it into that water before anyone else, and he never could. But you know what? All these years later, he's still laying there by the pool. He's long given up any hope that he's ever going to make it in that water, but he stays there anyway. That's why when Jesus comes to him, he asks what at first sounds like a ridiculous question. Jesus says, do you want to be made well? Well, why wouldn't he? He's laying by this pool to be made well, isn't he? Or is it that he's just gotten comfortable? You know, we can be so content in our discontent sometimes, right? We can be happy in our misery. We can love to complain. We can be set in our ways. And sometimes when God moves in our lives and he answers our prayers, it requires us to change. And even if it's for our good, sometimes we don't like to be changed. Sometimes people really don't want to be made well. But if we dare pray in faith, if we dare hold out hope that God will eventually answer our prayers, even if it's an unexpected way, even if it's an unexpected time, we can discover that God always has a purpose for how He answers our prayer. His plan and His provision, unexpected as they may be, is always done with a purpose. That's the second lesson we can learn from Zechariah. It's that God is at work in us for His glory and will. You see, ultimately this story isn't about Zechariah and Elizabeth. God doesn't answer their prayer just to make them happy, just because He wants to do something nice for them. God is at work in them fulfilling ancient prophecy. John's birth was prophesied. This is all a part of God's redemptive plan since before the beginning of time. John has come to prepare the way for Jesus. See, when God doesn't answer our prayers the way we want or respect, expect, we need to remember it's not about us. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's always and forever about God His glory, and His purposes. We also need to keep in mind that when God does answer our prayers, He asks us to take a leap of faith. He asks us to partner with Him in His plan and provision. And again, that I think is what we often fail to expect, that we work with God, we participate with God. We each have a part to play in His mission to seek and to save the lost. Now I want us to look at the second part of the story. Let's look at Mary, and we see here our third lesson, that we fail to expect God's holy presence. We've heard this already. I want to read this again. 
Beginning of verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. And then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be, since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. See, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. So like Zechariah, Mary was greatly troubled at this unexpected announcement from the angel Gabriel. Now let's put aside the fact that a sudden appearance of a blazing angel of light would be enough to make any of us tremble with fear. Amen? And that, that would be pretty shocking. I think that Zechariah and Mary were both as thunderstruck by what Gabriel said as by who he was or how he appeared. It's amazing how we can be afraid even of good news. Again, of God's unexpected plan and provision in our lives. Again, the angel told Zechariah, God has heard and answered your prayer. Yet that made him fearful because he didn't know how that would change his life. I think probably it filled him with some questions and doubts. How was this going to happen? How can I know this is going to be true? Can, can we raise a child in our old age? Will I be able to keep up? Zechariah needed to learn that it wasn't about him. He needed to learn that God's grace and power will always provide where God's will guides. Every time. If God was going to give him a son, God would give him the courage, the strength, and the wisdom he needed to raise that son. And so we see here that Gabriel gives Mary unexpected good news. He says, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now, it's strange to me that this greeting struck Mary with fear. She was trembling. She was wondering about this. Now, we have to understand Mary was a wonderer. She, she was an, an introspective person, a thinker. The Gospels often talk about how she thought about things and pondered things in her heart. And, and I think that it was in her pondering that Mary was overcome with a holy awe because she realized she was in the presence of of God. Now for Zechariah, he expected to be in the presence of God, right? He was a priest. He trained for this. He was in the temple. He was expecting to experience the holy presence of God. Mary was not trained that way. Mary was not in a temple somewhere expecting God's holy presence. In fact, tradition says that this all happened when Mary was at a well. There in Nazareth, she's at the well, she's drawing water for the day to take home to her parents' house, to wash or to cook or to clean or to do something like that. 
Like so many of us, Mary was just going about her day-to-day business. She was at work, not thinking about the fact that God was present all around her. Not thinking about the fact that the Creator knew her, saw her, heard her, understood every thought that she had. Reminds me of Moses tending sheep when all of a sudden he encounters the presence of God at the burning bush. Maybe it makes me think of the disciples huddled in the upper room when suddenly the resurrected Christ appears in their midst. It makes me think of Saul on the road to Damascus when he encounters the very Jesus he was persecuting with a blinding light. It makes me think of Isaiah in the temple when he sees a vision of the Lord high and lifted up. In fact, that vision so overwhelmed Isaiah, he was so overtaken by the fact he was in the presence of a holy God, he cried out, Woe is me, I am undone! Because you know what the holy presence of God does to us? It undoes us. It exposes our weaknesses and our sins. We're afraid that it will undo our very lives as we're consumed by the glory of a holy God. But remember what God did for Isaiah. The prophet was afraid to be in God's presence. He said, woe is me, I'm undone, for I am a man of unclean lips. I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. So God sent an angel to take a coal from the altar and to touch Isaiah's lips. And the angel said, Isaiah, don't be afraid. God has forgiven you. He has cleansed you of your sin. He has atoned for your sins. You will now go and proclaim God's word. God granted Isaiah His grace his unmerited favor. And so the angel here tells Mary, similarly, do not be afraid because you have found favor with God. Listen, that same unexpected good news Isaiah heard, that Mary heard, it's the same news that you and I hear. Hebrews 4.16 tells us that we can approach the throne of grace with boldness. We can come boldly into the holy presence of God. Why? How can we move from being afraid that God's holiness will undo us to being bold in the presence of God? Because of what Hebrews 10, 19 says, we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus. Jesus changes everything. If you are in Christ, if you've given your heart to Him and you've received salvation in His name, you are no longer God's enemy. You are God's child. You no longer have to be afraid of being undone by God's holy presence because He has washed your sins away. He remembers them no more. You are now in the presence of holy God. You're not far from God. In fact, we as Christians don't go to a temple. We are the temple. We don't go to a holy place. We are the holy place. The Spirit of God dwells within us. But Mary was troubled by this revelation. Why would you be troubled troubled to know that the Lord is with you and you are highly favored by Him? Well, maybe it's because Mary was a Jew and she knew the history of her people. That those that are highly favored by God are often oppressed, taken into slavery, exiled, persecuted, abandoned. She understood the world wars against God and those He highly favors. And she knew the stories of God's chosen servants of all that they suffered, of what God expected of them. Listen, the heroes of the faith, their stories are not fairy tales. They suffer, they serve, they sacrifice for the kingdom of God. I think Mary understood that. She knew that this, though a wonderful thing, was going to, again, require something of her. I think both Zechariah and Mary's reactions reveal 
that when we're afraid, when we feel underqualified and overwhelmed by God's unexpected plan, provision, and presence, that's when God does the most unexpected thing of all. That's our fourth lesson today. God prepares us with peace, and He guides us with grace. You know, Zechariah initially responded to God's good news with a lack of faith. He wanted proof. He wanted proof that what the angel was saying was true. Now, God didn't punish him for that in a punitive way. Listen, whenever God punishes us, it's always with a purpose. God's not sitting up there in heaven with lightning bolts ready to rain down on us. His discipline is always done in grace with the goal of guiding us into deeper faith in Christ-likeness. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 12 says, beginning in verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you're approved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Moms and dads, you discipline your children not because you hate them, right? Because you love them. You discipline them not for their harm, but for their good. All the Hebrews are saying, that's the way God is with us. So he says, endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as children. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them, but He does it for our benefit so that we can share in His holiness. And no discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God takes very seriously how we live our lives. It matters to Him. And if you're a Christian, you're a son or daughter of God. He is your Father, so He disciplines you out of love to build you up so that you can share in His holiness. You know, maybe you've experienced a crisis of belief in your life. Maybe God has reached down and He's convicted you of something. He's called you to do something. God has revealed something to your heart. He's asking you to respond to that. Maybe God has even opened a door for you, an opportunity to minister, to serve in some way. And before you could surrender to God, before you could step in that door, you experienced fear. You trembled. You doubted. You were perplexed. You, You wondered whether you should rejoice at this or you should tremble. Should you turn to God or should you hide your face? Listen, God always responds to our first reaction of fear, always by granting us His purposeful peace. Because His desire is to guide us into deeper trust, deeper faith, deeper obedience. See, unlike Zechariah, Mary didn't respond with doubt. She responded with humble amazement. Her question was not like Zechariah, how do I know that this is true? How do I know that you're really telling the truth and this is going to happen? Mary's isn't a faithless question. It's a reasonable question. She's a virgin. She simply asks, how exactly will God do this? Not how do I know this is true, but how will God do this? Do you see the difference in those two questions? Her question reminds me of the man 
who had the demon-possessed son who was being thrown into convulsions. And he asked Jesus to heal him if he could. And Jesus said, if I can, anything's possible to him who believes. And the man said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. That's Mary's prayer. That's her question. Mary says, give me wisdom. Give me faith. Strengthen my belief. Help me understand. And whenever we respond that way to the revelation of God's plan, with wonder, not doubt, not asking for signs of proofs to know whether or not we can trust God, but instead asking for wisdom so we can better understand and respond to God, that's when He strengthens our faith with peace. That's when He guides our lives with His grace. God revealed His plan and His promise to Mary, the promise of the ages, the promise that creation and Israel had been waiting millennia to hear, that God had come to begin the work of redeeming mankind and making all things new. That promise is God's plan. The Word made flesh, God the Son, come to live as one of us. And Mary's response quickly moves from, from, from shock and fear to something even greater. She experiences true Wonder, informed by the promise, enlightened by the plan, infused with God's peace. Gabriel answered Mary's very reasonable question with a rather gentle and reasonable answer. He explained God's plan to her in a deeper, more personal way. He explained as much as she and we could understand what God was about to do through her for the world. And remember how Zechariah asked for a sign? He asked for proof and got a very unexpected sign. He was going to be deaf and mute until John was born. Mary didn't ask for a sign at all. Yet Gabriel still gives her an unexpected one. And this is proof that God has a sense of humor. The irony is is that her sign is that Elizabeth is pregnant. The very same thing that he had told Zechariah. Mary and Joseph, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're all learning that truly... Nothing is impossible with God. But this wasn't just a sign for Mary. Elizabeth's pregnancy was also a gift. I just want to read a few more verses here. Look with me at verses 39 through 45. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside of me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. I have to think that's a little jab at Zechariah too when she says that last line. And then look at verse 56. Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months. And then she returned to her home. You see, as God's love grows inside of us, we're enlarged through community, discovering that we're not alone in our journey. God gave Elizabeth to Mary as a fellow pilgrim on this journey of faith to affirm God's call, to be a testimony that God's promises are sure to comfort and encourage Mary in the months to come. Together they would journey down this path of faith and obedience as they pondered the mysteries of God's grace. Isn't it wonderful that God gives us people? He gives us fellow believers to go with us, to walk alongside of us, to encourage us in our journey. And again, Mary's response to this new gift of faith grows far beyond fear, beyond wonder, beyond mere emotions. Mary surrenders her very will and even her body 
to God. She goes all in in obedience to God. Look at verse 38 again. Look what she says. I am the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you have said. Mary answers with this great statement of faith, claiming her identity as a servant of God. She surrenders her rights, her hopes, her dreams. She knows that she belongs to God, so why would she not trust and obey God? Obedience is always the true sign of faith. And to be obedient to, to God and His calling means that we become slaves to the impossible, to the unexpected. It's why we sing the song, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Listen, when God reveals Himself to us in unexpected ways, when we suddenly become aware of God's holy presence in unexpected places, when God answers a prayer in a way that seems to demand an awful lot from us, that's when God gives us the faith, the grace, and the peace that we need to trust Him and to follow His perfect and pleasing will. And when we do, guided by His grace, prepared by His priest, His peace, and humble trust and surrender to His will, that's when God's gracious love reaches down to fill us and we experience that unexpected gift of pure joy. A joy, by the way, that always results in taking that good news that we've received and believed and shares it with others. But that's next Sunday's story. That's where we're going to pick this up next week. We take the good news that's been announced to us and we proclaim it to others. But today we leave off this story with both Elizabeth and Mary pregnant, or as some say, expecting. They're expecting. What are you expecting? What are you expecting God to do in your life today? Are you looking for God to show up? How are you waiting for Him to move in your life, to speak and work through and to you today? Listen, I pray that you have received Jesus in your heart as Lord. I pray that He's come into your life, and I pray that you would continue to experience God's good news in a way that fills your life with peace and joy, that strengthens you with His grace and sends you out to share it with other people. But maybe there's somebody in this room today, somebody online or on the radio, and today you need to respond for the first time in your life, as Mary did, and say, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as he has said. May it be to me as he has said, Jesus, I am a sinner. I know that I'm lost without you, and I give my life to you. I surrender my sins to you. I give you my, my guilt and my shame, and I ask you to fill me with your grace and your peace. Forgive me. And fill me with your spirit. Is that the prayer you need to pray to him today? I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as he has said. Maybe God is saying you need to be a member at First Baptist Church. You need to profess publicly your decision for me through baptism. You've never done that before. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as he has said. Maybe God has called you to ministry, to the mission field to serve in this church in some way, to share the gospel with someone, and you've been hesitant, you've been afraid, you've trembled in fear, maybe today is the day you surrender in faith to what God has called you to do. May Mary be our example. Would you stand and pray with me? Father, you are still the God who comes to us in unexpected ways, in unexpected places, and you call us to do unexpected things. You reveal unexpected truth to us. Even though it's right there in your words, somehow we can be so blind to it. 
Father, may we not be like Zechariah and, and come in doubt and demanding proofs and signs. May we be like Mary and surrender ourselves in humility and say, may it be to me as the Lord has said. God, whatever you have said to people today, people that are listening at home right now, Lord, may it be to them as you have said. May they respond in faith and obedience today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Whatever God has said to